0: But one of the things that's clear is that our culture has certainly changed in many, many ways. Things that we thought were regular things that were normal have been changed a lot just in our last 20, 30 years. And things have certainly changed. The Christian faith, for example, has changed. It used to be that in the time of the pilgrims and stuff, when they came to America, almost all of them who came were coming because they wanted religious freedom. They came because they wanted to be able to have a place where they could serve and then serve the Lord. And so during that time and during, since that time of going all the way back to pilgrims, Christianity has been the dominating group and, and belief in the cult in, our whole world, in that part of our world. And that has now changed. We've had a lot of people who are moving in from different countries with different beliefs and different things that are going on. And what's interesting is it's changed a lot but it's probably been in the last 20 and 30 years we've seen such incredible fast change happening. It used to be on a Sunday morning when you would see people going out to church, whether cars or whether walking, there would be people that were going to church. Not all of them. Not everybody always went to church. But in general, in our lifetime, for most of us in this room, we knew of many people who went to church. Christianity was the accepted almost group of what it was. Christianity was it. That is changing. The Christian faith in America is dropping in terms of people who are going to church, people who are involved. Uh, Things like that are changing a lot. Some of this is maybe not so bad because we understand a lot of people who, quote, claim to be Christians. It's only the fact that they call themselves that. It doesn't mean they have actually have a relationship with the Lord. But it's certainly clear that it's not the way it used to be 50 years ago or a hundred years ago or two hundred years ago and so we're living in a different world and the reason why I came back with that layered thing was living the gospel in an unwelcome world because we're now seeing some of what many people believe is something that's going to only go worse where more and more people are not only not becoming Christians but they're going the other direction they're very much antagonistic to it and you you see there's so much going on in our culture today And so the reason why I would call this living the gospel in an unwelcome world is, we are probably, and particularly our children and grandchildren, are going to find themselves to be the outsiders, not the insiders anymore. And the question is going to be, how will we respond to the fact that we're no longer on top, let's put it that way, in terms of the different groups? Christianity in the other parts of the world, Asia, Africa, growing rapidly. Wonderful things are happening, but the number of Christians are dropping in America. And again, like I mentioned, that's not always bad because sometimes you are finding out who are those who are willing to go through the struggles to be a believer and those that are not. But it is certainly changing. And First Peter, our study of First Peter, I think and believe God is going to use us because we're no longer going to be the top people. We're going to be the ones that are the outsiders. And it's remarkable. Some of the stuff you read in the papers about some people saying one guy was writing in the New York Times saying, we need to get rid of this stuff about Christian stuff and get away the idea of having freedom of religion. We don't need that anymore. And every, but most people are going, what are you talking about? That's one of the great freedoms that we have as being Americans. And here's a person saying we don't even need that anymore. We got to get rid of that. And so we say, calling this living the gospel in an unwelcome world. And so we're going to try to be studying 1 Peter. And to do that, I need to give you a little background, a little bit of thinking of what's going on and what we're going to be studying in this series. Can anybody translate for that for me? Well, I can't either, but it is Arabic for sure. And we've seen our world changing so much, particularly in the Middle East where we know that there's all these struggles going on, and most of us all have seen these awful pictures of Christians being walked along the beach and then they cut their heads off. It's hard for us to imagine that. We wouldn't have thought about that 30, 40, 50 years ago, but it's happening. I mean, it's real. People are dying. Christians are making very, very tough, christic things. But what do we do? What for the sake of our children? Should we lie and say that we're Muslims? Should we become a Muslim for the sake of our children, to keep them alive? People in the Middle East are making these awful decisions on what to do for themselves and their families. And so we're dealing with a world that's very different. They used to say, this ain't your father's gold, gold, what was it? Gold, what was that? Oldsmobile? Oldsmobile. This ain't your father's old, well, this isn't in our culture. It is certainly changing. And so, what we need to recognize is that the world is changing. How are we going to respond to that? It is certainly a cultural change. Just what's happened in the courts in the last six months are telling us that our world is changing fast, and it's going to become even faster as we go. So, we're going to be talking about this. We want to introduce the First Peter. First Peter is a part of a group of Bible of. Passages we have in the Bible that most people don't read very often. They're called the General Epistles, or they're called the Catholic Epistles. Again, Catholic here is not meaning Roman Catholic; it means Catholic means universal, just like what we had in the, when we had the, the, previously when we were talking about the Nicene Creed. There again, the idea means the idea of Catholic being all Christians who would believe the same things. So we're talking about here a group that are called the general epistles or the Catholic epistles. And they generally, not every group does this, but in generally they consider it being seven different places. You have James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Jude seven books at the end of the Bible. Other people would say, we'll put revelation on there. Well, we can if you want to, but it's really a very different genre in what we're talking about. But it is interesting, most of us, and I'm saying myself myself particularly, we've done a lot of our studies. We've done a lot of our teaching. We've done it in, for example, with the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, okay, we go that. We also have had to do it a lot of with stuff with, with Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was such a remarkable person. We've spent a lot of time with Apostle Paul, the things that he did, the things that he taught. And so the ones that we have here, the general apostles, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 John, 3 3 John, and shoot, we often don't read them. And yet, they're still God's word. All scripture is given by God and is inerrant. And so we've got to be careful. Sometimes we have our ones that we like the most, these may not be your most famous ones or the ones you like the most, but they're still part of God's Word. And so the one that we're going to be focusing among these seven is going to be this first one we talked about, 1 Peter. And that's the one that we're going to work on now. So we're going to go about this a little bit. I know a lot of you know a lot about Peter a lot of you have studied this years and years not everybody in our group has actually had the opportunity to do that so what i want to do is just give some really quick overview just make her all on the same line we know what we're talking about or what peter who peter was and what he did first of all we remember him in simon peter we hear about him in matthew chapter 4 it's like hey you know he's already saw the miracles of jesus and he calls him simon peter you're going to be one of my apostles to follow him we know that we said They were traveling along and they came to this place called Caesarea Philippi when Jesus asked the question, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And some people said, well, Jesus, we think you're a great prophet. And others said, well, we think he's just a great man, or we think that he's a a great man. But he had that question. But who do people say that I am? But he asked you, well, who do you say that I am, Jesus asked. And here is where Peter shines. Peter said, but he asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter came back. He said, you're the Messiah, Jesus. You're the son of the living God. Whoop, whoop, you got it. That's so important because it's saying at that point, at that thing, they all thought wonderful things about Jesus, but it was Peter who said, you know what? You're the Mashiach. You're the one, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for for all these generations. He is the son of the living God. And so Peter had a special role in that role. And we'll see it as we continue on this. We talk about later, when he talks about the transfiguration, who was there? Peter, James, and John. When they were traveling, a lot of times it would be the three of them. Peter, James, and John with Jesus. You go on, and Peter talked about the time when Jesus was walking on water. That's not something you see very often. It was a very short time because his face started going, and he started sinking. But, I mean, still... None of us in this room that I'm aware of has ever been able to walk on water. So in other words, Peter is a remarkable person. And yet in our evangelical culture, we don't talk much about Peter. If you're a Roman Catholic, I probably you would, but I mean, at least in our group, we don't talk a lot about it. But this is important. And Peter was important that. About walking on water, talked about how Jesus was there with Peter in the garden. We were talking about the fact when he was asleep, they were people were sleeping in the garden. Peter then denies that he knew Jesus three times. That's like the low point in Peter's life. Here's a guy that, you know, that did so great. You're the man. You got it. Remember what happened? He told Peter, he said, Peter, you're the one. You're the rock. We're going to call you Rocky. And I'm going to build my kingdom upon you. And yet, not too long later, Peter's saying, I don't know that man. I don't know that man. I don't know that man. Then the cock crowed, and he realized it happened. When Jesus needed me the most, I took off and I ran and so when we think of Peter, we think of him as somebody who was very, very special in God's plan. He's also a man who had a lot of sense in himself that who he was and what he could do. And all these other people might run away for Jesus, but Jesus, you can count on me. Until a little servant girl said, yeah, you're one of those people from there, aren't you? No, I didn't. I swear, I didn't. Ah, uh that wasn't me. And Peter blew it. Big time and caused a lot of problems. Peter's remorse Peter went out and wept he was rocky he was number one he was the one that Christ was going to build his kingdom And here I am when Jesus needed me most I took off and ran Peter's remorse but Peter's restoration John 21 Peter do you love me? Can you imagine what that felt like for him? Peter, do you love me? You know. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know. Feed my sheep. The restoration. Here's the guy that blew it big time. And yet God came back to him and said, You know what? You did blow it. Let's not pretend that that wasn't bad. But I want you to know there's healing. And there's forgiveness. And I'm going to use you to make a difference in the lives of people. So, Peter is a famous one. He's a person we think about. What we want to do is just read two verses right here. They're two important verses. First off, Peter, let me read the section, then we're going to go a little deeper. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. We know that word apostle many times. But here, this word apostle where it's being used here is not just someone who's pretty good. This is someone like Peter, like, excuse me, uh, about like some of the other ones who were so significant in the gospel. So it's Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the temporary residence in the dispersion in the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and being set apart by the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied with you. And if you try to do that in one big breath, you'll be in big trouble. But it's only two verses, but they're two long verses and they're two very significant verses. And that's why what I want to do for a couple of minutes is just go through again the significance of it. This is really just the introduction to First Peter, and yet in these first two passages you have very, very significant, theologically and other ways in dealing with these passages are all about. For example, we're talking about we're doing first Peter. Peter's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is the one that where Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Again, making the point that, Peter, you've had this great opportunity. You have been been used by God. Peter is the one in Acts chapter 20, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 14 to 36. That's in the book of Acts where it says the spirit of the Holy Spirit came down and they were speaking in other languages. In fact, let me turn to it. You can do it too if you want. Turn to the book of Acts real quick. Acts chapter 2, excuse me, I just went past it again. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Again, this story is going on, Jesus, is. they're talking about all the people hearing in different languages. And then when we come to Acts chapter 2, verse 14, listen to this. If you don't have it, just listen. If you have it, read it. But Peter stood up with the eleven. Remember the twelve. You know, he He died, obviously. But Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and proclaimed to them, Jewish men and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. I don't know if you've read the prophet Joel recently, but Peter obviously knew what it was because he quotes directly from it. And so he quotes in verses 17 to 21. And it will be in the last days, said God, that I'll pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my male and female slaves in those days and they will prophesy I will display wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below blood and fire and cloud of smoke the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and remarkable days of the Lord then whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved he uses these Old Testament passages to say what we've been waiting for what we've been longing for has happened through Jesus Messiah and so Peter Standing up, Peter, who did fail, Peter, who was restored by the Lord, stands up and says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. This Jesus, the Nazarene, was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourself know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you use lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. Now remember, there's a lot of people there that don't like what Peter's saying. He could find himself on a cross, as far as some people are concerned. He said, but you, but God did among you, he said, just as you yourself know, Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you use lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was impossible for him to be held by it. For David said to him, I saw the Lord before me at my right hand. I will not be shaken. So here is a guy in this passage. He is the one. When it came for a person to stand up and be the spokesman for this new group called the church, Peter was there. Yes, he'd failed. Yes, he had a huge failure. God restored him. And he stands out there boldly with people standing out there and says, This is what God has said he's going to do. It has happened. It is happening right now. And you're either with him or you're not. And you need to come to full faith of Jesus and Messiah. So Peter is a man that we're going to be studying more about and hearing more about. A man who had a huge impact on the lives of so many. We see that in Acts chapter 2 where the men were all together and the Holy Spirit came upon them. The 11 of them gathered together. And it talked about the whole idea, the fact that what God had done for them. So here we're going back to this passage real quick. Peter, who's the apostle Jesus Christ, notices these words. To the temporary... Residents of the dispersion. You might have something slightly different in your Bible. Holman Christian Standard has it one. The other one has it another thing. They're all making the same point. He's making the point to the temporary residents of the dispersion. Now stop right there and think about it. Who were the temporary residents? It's you. It's me. It's those at that time who it's not they were no they no longer consider themselves citizens of Rome, per se. They recognize as Christians they've got a different Lord, and they've got a different king. And they're not going to worship the way the Romans wanted them to worship. And so what you've got that so to the temporary residence and dispersion is saying, you know a lot of you who some of you were long you lived long enough to see Jesus, some of you heard about it from the different people who met him. And he's telling them, saying, you know what? He said, what's happened here? What God is doing to the temporary residents is saying, you need to start recognizing this is not your home. Some of you might remember there's an old song. This world is not my home. I'm only going through something like that. What's the last part of it? Just passing through. Uh, That's an unusual phrase. Think of that. This world is not my home. I'm only passing through. Come on, let's be honest. Do we think of the world that way? No. Most of us are very, very happy where we're at in our culture and where it's going on. And yet, this passage that Peter is bringing to us right here, to the temporary residents, of the dispersion, in other words, to you Christians. He could have put, to the Christians who reside here in the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, he said, you know what, this ain't our home anymore. We're looking for the place where there's going to be joy, and there's going to be freedom, and there's going to be Jesus coming in power and glory, and we're going to be with him forever. In 1 Peter, in the passage we're going to be studying these next couple weeks, there's going to be a lot of emphasis on the issue of saying, what world do you really belong in? What world should you be belonging to? How is that going to change the way you live your life and how you do what God would ask you to do? That area that we're talking about here, if you want to look at, this is in Turkey, most of this, part of, this portion of Turkey, Mysia, Bithynia, Galatia, Pontius, Cappadocia. This is an area where there are lots of people going, a lot of people traveling both directions. And so what you had the gospel was going around to so many people it's tragic to think that what happened later on as years went on that it became very much over control I mean out of our control but here's the point where people were working here and this is the areas where God was working the area sort of like what we had in America a century ago circuit-riding preachers. I talked to a guy whose grandfather was a circuit-riding preacher. He had six churches. He'd go to this church early in the morning, he'd take on his go get on his horse and go on to this place, and he would go right along those and he would spend his Sunday going from place to place. That's kind of like circuit region preaching we have here, but this is encyclical. In other words, they use this term, the encyclical, saying this is a letter that Peter has written, and now what you're going to do, we're going to have a person Some people who could read could make copies of it, but at least somebody's going to make a really good copy of it, and we want you to take it from place to place, to Bithynia, to here, to here. It would kind of go around. Did you get a chance to take it to all the people? Yes, we took it, we read it, and hope you don't mind, because we made our own copies of it, because we'd like to be able to hear God's word. And so they would have these passages that people would go by through that. Now, notice what he said, to the temporary residents of the dispersion. That's what the Holman Christian Standard, which I use here. To the temporary residents, reminding us we don't belong to this. To the exiles of the dispersion, RSV, the revised uh, uh, version. uh, NIV is a little odd. God's elect, that part's not odd, but strangers in the world. That's okay, the NIV. It's all making the point, if we're a believer, we have to say, where is your world? Are you in Christ's group, or are you in the world? And it's saying, here it is. We're going to be exiles. We may be literally exiles at some point. More importantly, are we spiritual ones? Do we recognize that we're waiting for Christ to come in power and glory? That we'll be with him forever? Notice what he says. Notice these couple key words. There's only two verses in this whole passage. They're wrong, but I mean, they're very important. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Book of Romans, it talks about foreknowledge. We are talking about particularly when we talk about, um, when we were studying Romans, where he talks about it. That is chosen, and you're saying to these people as Christians, because Christians, you're according to the foreknowledge of God. That is, God not just knew what was going to happen, it's that not only that, not that, but it's all saying, but you know, God by his foreknowledge has brought you into relationship. Now you can get caught up in the whole question about how, why some and not others. You can spend the rest of your life knowing that. You will never figure it out till you go to be with Jesus. But the point is, God has got his people, and he calls his people into relationship with him. We think about it and we turn to the covenant. By the foreknowledge of God, the Father, set apart by the Spirit for obedience and for sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ. So foreknowledge a key one in this passage. The next one he talks about chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Notice that phrase. We're going to start hearing, well not we, but the people of that time would have heard, oh we talk about God the Father and oh the next thing we're talking about is God the Holy Spirit. And we start thinking, oh, this is like the beginnings of the Trinity that we're going to start. You start seeing as you start working through that time, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so it talks about to God the Father, and set apart by the Spirit. That idea of set apart is saying God has given you a special role for the working of the Holy Spirit. When He talks about set apart by the Spirit for obedience, it's like, well, how are we going to be obedient? It said right by I just told you. It's the word spirit that is enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit to be the woman, the man, the boy, the girl that God wants us to be. So you've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and you've been set apart for the spirit that you could be able to do that. Not for what? For what? Set apart by the spirit for obedience. God calls us to holiness. When the scriptures tell us, be holy as I am holy, it's like, wow. Wow. What a high standard. we ever going to completely be, completely be that way? Not until we get to heaven, but it's saying, be holy. God is calling us to holiness, and he's not asking you to do it on your own. He's saying, allow the Holy Spirit to be at work in your life, to give you the strength you need to be the man, the woman, that He God asks you to be. So you said you're set apart by the Spirit for obedience. And then he goes through a different direction, he kind of flips over on this one right here, and for the sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ. Now notice that when he talked about set apart by the Spirit for obedience, this is something that we need to do. When he comes to the last phrase here and says, for the sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ, that's not something we can do, that's only something that God can do for us. That's a significant difference. What we do first is what we do, obedience, that's what we do by this power of the Spirit, but there's only things that God can do, and God does that with the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. That idea of sprinkling, remember these people would, particularly the Jewish people, and of course the cultures around them, not a lot of them, they would have, you know, times where they would have, times where they would have, where that person would kill a lamb, and that lamb would be so important. And here it's taken the idea of saying, oh no, this is for the sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ can bring that forgiveness. Once again, there's things that we can do enabled by the Spirit. There's some things that only God can do for us. And he said, that's what's bringing it. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that brings forgiveness, that brings, brings real life, that allows us to be the people and the men that Jesus wants us to be. And then he ends... With this beautiful little thing. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Think about that. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And all God's people said, Amen. So what I'd ask you like to do, I'd like to ask you to do this week, if you get the chance, start reading in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. It is a wonderful book. It's again, like we mentioned, it's not one of the parts of the ones that we often come to, but it's an important book. All scripture, all scripture is what the scripture tells us. And so we want and want to learn it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we bring this into a book that here we are, generations and generations away from the time of Christ. And yet, Lord, here we seem to be getting closer and closer to being the ones who are on the outside, the ones who realize that this, war, this world is no longer our world, that we have a great Savior, and we're looking for the return of Christ. Lord, help us to remember what you've taught us, that we're just going through, but one day we'll be with you forever. And when that comes, Lord, one day we'll be with you, where there'll be no longs, no more struggle, no more hurt, but we'll be with you forever and ever and ever.